Hi everyone and welcome to episode 7 of Podcastles. You're here with me, Nikita, my sister Georgia. Hello. And this week we're going to be looking at a selection box of Oxfordshire castles. How are you doing, Georgia? I'm good, thank you. It's been a mad week, which I feel like I say every time, but happy to be here doing Podcastles now. I love how we've been apart for so long now that when I ask you how you are, you go, I'm good, thank you, like you would do to a stranger who didn't really want to talk to in a shop. <laughs> well. I don't really want to talk to you. No, Jay. <laughs> How's your week been? Yeah, it's been good. It's been a good week. It's uh, getting colder. It's getting rainy and I'm getting sad doing the weather every day on my show and being like, it's going to be another miserable day tomorrow, guys. <laughs> Mentally and literally. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So last week we did Blenheim. This mm-hmm. week, we are doing a selection box of Oxfordshire castles. All the little ones thrown in together. You can pick which one's your favourite. I like any of them, but the strawberry flavoured. It'll get to like 10pm on Christmas Day and I will eat them all. Even though you don't really I'm like I'm not them. ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I will eat them all. Watching okay. David Attenborough. Should mm. we get straight into the chronology of these castles? Do. I'm going to run you through the history of each one first. What, what castles are we looking at? We are looking at... Banbury Castle, Broughton Castle, Deddington Castle, Sherborne Castle, Wallingford Castle and Rutherford Grey's Castle. I'm aware that sounds like a lot, but a couple of those don't actually really exist anymore. We normally don't talk about the ones that are no longer there, but these are really good castles and we really need to talk about them because they're like massive bits of history. Okay. Little little in size, massive in history. So... There are several smaller castles in Oxfordshire, including some that are now ruinous and not there anymore. Lots of those castles, some of which we are going to mention today, were used by Stephen and Matilda. So, we're going to start with Banbury Castle, which is one of the ones that no longer exists. It was built in 1135 by Alexander Bishop of Lincoln, and it was a Mott and Bailey to start with, as so many were. It was confiscated by King Stephen in 1139, but then returned back to Alexander, and I'm not sure why, and he keeps it until 1147. It's then strengthened under King John in 1201 to 1207. Eventually, the castle is completely rebuilt. Early historians concluded that the rebuilding occurred in the late 13th century but archaeological excavations in the 1970s suggested that it was actually rebuilt during the 1220s to 1250s. Either way, by the second half of the 13th century the castle was being used as a prison of the bishops Mm. of Lincoln linking into Oxford there a little bit. A little bit. Now we're going to jump forward a couple of hundred years as we like to do, to the Tudors. The castle was bought by Edward Seymour in 1547. Is that the same Edward Seymour of Jane Seymour life? This is Somerset, yeah, who is the first protectorate of Edward VI. Was obviously his nephew. It shortly after passes on to Dudley, who is Northumberland, who is the second protectorate under Edward VI. Seeing a trend here. Mm. And then it was sold to the crown in 1551. Shortly after this, the prison is used less and less and the prison is completely gone by the 1560s. Although it was recreated in the 1580s, 
to hold recusants under Elizabeth. She's tying in very nicely, Georgia. I know. This is why this is one of those castles that I just had to mention, even though it's not there anymore. So it's being used to hold recusants. And then in 1595, the castle was leased to the Lord of Say and Seal, Richard Fines. Then we're going to skip forwards to the Civil War a little bit. Still in the Fines family. So this is now William Fines owns it, who is the son of Richard. Mm-hmm. And he holds it for Parliament. So the castle has to quickly be refortified uh, and made ready for battle. After the Battle of Edge Hill, King Charles marches south and forces the surrender of the castle and all of its stock of firearms, which is a lot. It's got yeah. 1,500 firearms in it. What was the Battle of Edge Hill? That seems to be the only battle in the Civil War that we've mentioned so far. 1642, I believe. In 1644, the castle is besieged again, this time by parliamentary forces, because the king obviously holds it now, under the command of William Fiennes. So this is basically Fiennes versus king for the castle. Mm, Okay. The royal governor, William Compton, who was in charge of the castle whilst it was being besieged, Mm -hmm. he managed to hold out between July and October, which is when his brother comes and brings extra people in to get rid of it, and they win. So they managed to hold out. But then in January 1646, Sir Edward Worley places the the castle under siege again, this time a lot more men, And in May, Compton has to surrender. The castle's then slighted after the war, but fines is paid £2,000 by Parliament in compensation. The stones from the castle were later used to build the houses in the town. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Exactly. That's the end of the history for that one. So moving on to the next castle, we're moving on to Broughton Castle. Mm -hmm. Is that one still standing? People go to that one. Yeah, it's not currently open because of COVID. Broughton Castle... Probably the creation of Sir John de Broughton, who died in 1315 and has an effigy in the church close by. At that time, when it was created, it was just an undefended normal manor house, not a castle. It's then sold to the Wycombe family, whose ancestors still own the castle today. That's really cool. I know, it's lasted for such a long time, although they don't have the same name. Now known as the Fines family. Same Fines family as the last castle? Not only is the same Fines family as the last time, but the Wycombe Fines family is the family of Ralph Fines. Right, like Ray Fines Voldemort? Yeah, Voldemort. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah, I don't think he owns it, but his family did, so that's cool. So again, they are Barons Say and Sill from the last castle that we were looking at. Now, the only reason this is really counted as a castle is because Sir Thomas Wycombe obtained the licence to crenellate and embattle in 1406 and added a gatehouse and a battlement wall. But like, whilst the moat is useful, it's a big moat, the curtain that preserves the battlements that's like added as part of the defences is so low you could jump over it. So it's not like super well defended. So we're going to skip straight forwards to a couple of the different interesting points in history for this castle. Under the Tudors, it is subdivided and remodelled. They do it up. James I stays there many times. Ooh. And then during the Civil War, mm. First Viscount Say and Seal 
was one of the leading activists against Charles. Yeah. As we heard from the earlier castle, because he was holding it for Parliament, wasn't he? So, parliamentarian sympathisers like John Pym and John Hapston, I think that would mean Hapton, that would mean more to you than me probably, um, they use it as a meeting point during the lead up to the Civil War. And the Viscount raised troops for the Battle of Edge Hill, 1642, another name and date that we would know well at this point. Royalists then besieged the castle and occupied it for a while. There's a lot of, there was a lot of damage due to a cannon. But Say and Seal actually managed to avoid signing Charles's death warrant. So he was able to make peace with the crown after the restoration. Sneaky. Clever. There's then, again, not much more to say. It fell into disrepair in the 19th century. Um, a bulk of its contents had to be sold off. Even the swans... On their website, though, it actually says that because of this, they were saved from a lot of the Victorian excesses. So I don't know if that's personal opinion, but they say that because of having to sell it and it went into disrepair in this period, it means that it wasn't done up in the way that a lot of other um, buildings were under the Victorians. It's actually kept a lot of its original stuff because of that. Oh, that's nice. The (laughs) The 16th Say and Seal uh, bought... A prominent Victorian architect, though, having said that, so it's a bit confusing, in to try and do some work. But again, it had further neglect due to the 17th Earl being a gambler at the horse races. You win some, you lose some. (laughs) In this case, you lose a lot. Um, (laughs) They then rented the house out. By the turn of the century, it's being rented out by the famous Edwardian socialite Lady Gordon Lennox who actually hosted Edward VII there. In 1912, when the lease expires, uh, the Fines family are able to return. They still have a shortage of resources, but they are able to do a lot of the major restoration because the Historic Buildings Council helps them renew the roof and things like that, and the English Heritage actually help as well because it's such an important building that people help out to because it's expensive. As we've discovered, expensive owning a castle, actually. Deddington is the next castle we're looking at. Oh, it's such a good name. Deddington. Not spelt D-E-A-D, spelt D-E-D-D. No, but next time I'm absolutely knackered, I'm going to just say I feel Deddington. I feel Deddington, off to Bedfordshire. That was really good. So, Deddington Castle. Yeah, go for it. So, Deddington Castle... There's been some form of Morton Bailey there since the Norman times. Oddo, who was the half-brother of William the Conqueror, constructed a Morton Bailey there. And now being the half-brother of the king has its perks. He has a lot of manners, especially in this area. It's one of his richest manor, new manor houses, um, probably his administrative centre for all of his lands. It was possibly even intended to house a large force in the event of an Anglo-Saxon revolt. And Odo had a failed rebellion against William II in 1088, so the castle was seized. So he liked his half-brother, but he wasn't such a fan of his nephew. Yeah. So in 1088, he rebels against William II, so the castle is seized from him. Mm. Skipping forward to the anarchy. My favourite. Indeed. William de Chesney owns it by 1157. He supported Stephen and then he supports 
Henry II in okay. the peace of 1154. Okay. So he settles. He understands that. It's like now, now it's a man in charge. Two men. I'll uh, I'll go for I'll go for peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Matilda. Classic. Poor Tilly. So he rebuilt the castle in stone. He put a stone carton around the new inner bailey. Put a defensive tower in. Domestic buildings. Gatehouse. Does the works. When I when I hear you say he puts a, a stone carton around, or like, do you mean curtain? I said stone curtain, didn't I? Oh, I heard stone curtain, and then all I could think of is he's just plonked like a giant Sunny Delight carton over the top of it. No, curtain. Um, going forward to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. In the Civil War, it had a minor role, um, but after its strategic importance disappeared, basically declined. Uh, it was left empty for ages. But its remains were used both by royalist and parliamentary forces during the Civil War. And and the royalist garrison was besieged there in 1644. As I say, was left vacant for ages after its importance declined. But in the 19th century, it was used as a sporting facility for the local gentry. Like there was a rifle and revolver club there in 1946-81. Okay. So after that, the... Parish council buy the lands in 47. They have plans to build a load of stuff like a tennis court and things, but they discover a load of medieval pottery and roof tiles, which means they have to stop and the Ashmolean actually take over with like an investigation for a while. Yeah, the Ashmolean's a a museum in Oxford. Yes. It's a good museum, actually. We know, I know you're wondering because it's very important, but the plans for the tennis court were dropped. Yeah, so don't go there if you're wanting to play tennis. Nowadays, there is no stonework visible, but the inner bailey is held by the English heritage and the outer area is held by the parish council. Ah. So it's it's not really there anymore, basically. There's a couple that aren't really there anymore. On to Sherborne Castle. Okay, we're going back in time again. It's constructed in 1378 on the site of a moated grange and eventually passes down to someone who marries Lord Berkeley and then to their daughter who married Richard Beauchamp, the Earl of Warwick. Oh, okay. Who obviously lives at Warwick Castle because it's bigger. Yeah. It's owned by a few families. It's moated. Mm-hmm. It's got three stories. This is just some generic facts now. And it claims, although you'll find a couple of the castles claim this, it claims to be the earliest brick building in Oxfordshire. Okay. During the Civil War, the Chamberlain family own it for a while it's then owned for the king during the civil war until surrendered in 1646 to the parliamentarians but then it is returned to chamberlain after the war so that's nice oh that's nice that's kind in the 18th century just to bring it up a little bit more modern an astronomer george parker used it for his observatory and chemical lab which he built there Oh, nice. And in 1761, Thomas Hornsby observed the transit of Venus in the castle grounds. Oh, that's nice. I like some astronomy. That's good. I I, uh, I like that you've called the 18th century bringing it up to the more modern times. Yeah, well, I feel like we normally like sort of peter out after the Civil War, so I just thought I'd include a few facts. Yeah, there's not often a lot, so I like that. The castle is currently unoccupied. Okay. Why? Because uh, following a very long court battle... The ninth Earl of Macclesfield was evicted from their family seat at the end of 2004. So the castle isn't currently being occupied. 
And the Macclesfield building, George Parker was the Earl of Macclesfield, right? The astronomer dude. For a while, yeah. So it stayed in their family for a long time. Um, It's not currently open to the public. Okay, so you can't go and, well, no one can go and visit anything. Moving on to Wallingford Castle. As I say, got a lot to get through, so we're just going to fly through some of the history of the key points. Um, it is a major medieval castle, um, and this is, again, one of the ones that doesn't really exist anymore. You can go to the garden still, where there's a little bit of the wall standing and stuff, but this is one of those ones that in normal situations we wouldn't include, but it's so important. Once I read about it, I couldn't leave it. Wallingford, I think I... Wallingford rings a bell for me. Okay. So let's see if this rings a bell for you. It's a major medieval castle. In the 11th century, it's a Mott and Bailey. Mm, aren't they all? And historian Nicholas Brooke says it's one of the most powerful royal castles in the 12th and 13th centuries. Wow. So the king wanted to have proper control over the Thames Valley. So he constructed a castle here at Wallingford. He also constructed one at Windsor, which is in Berkshire. And then he also constructed the baronial one of Oxford. So this is very tied to Oxford, which we did a few weeks ago. Which which king is that? This is William the Conqueror. Oh, okay. It's a big one. Got a little name coming back up from one that you've mentioned. I'm going to like this, aren't I? In Oxford, I think. Yeah. Robert Doyley. Yeah. My main man, Robert. 1067 to 1071. Mm-hmm. He married Wigod's daughter, Wigod of Wallingford was the Anglo-Saxon who controlled the town and he supported the invasion of William the Conqueror. What a phenomenal name. So to finalise the bond when whilst he's supporting William the Conqueror, um, Robert Doyley marries Wigod's daughter. Moving forward to the anarchy. Ooh. Brian Fitzcount held it for Matilda. Excellent. You'll be pleased to know. Yeah, Brian Fitzcount was really important in the anarchy. Um, it is never taken despite being besieged multiple times. Brian's a good dude. It is Matilda's most eastern stronghold. Mm-hmm. And Stephen tries to attack it in 1139, but he finds it completely impossible to attack. Um... So he ends up besieging it instead. So he realises he can't attack it, so he decides to just sit outside it. He loves a siege. He does love a siege. Brian, he has considerable supplies. Apparently, they reckon that he would have lasted for several years under siege, if need be. Excellent. But Stephen gives up, and he builds two more castles to counter it. He just goes, look, I'm never going to get rid of that power, so I'll just build a couple of castles around it to counter it in case it rises up. It's basically the idea. So... So Brian Fitzcount was actually a really big deal in the anarchy. He was a really big... So what, what, there are a lot of supporters of Matilda, but he's like up there with her brother Robert. He's really important. It was also a notorious prison, which is uh, established around this time, around Matilda's time and Brian's time. Stephen's royal steward, William Martel, is kept there. So it's not a very big castle, though. So various houses in the towns had to be used to help keep... Uh, Brian's forces um, because there wasn't enough space in the castle. So that is the end of the story for this castle during the anarchy. In the medieval period in general, it becomes a castle for luxury used by the royals and their family. It's given to Richard I, Earl of Cornwall in 1231 as his main residence. Did they, did they know that he was a bit far from home or is, my, is his geography as bad as mine? I know. Interesting names popping up now. In the Second Baron's War, Simon de Montfort seizes the castle 
after the Battle of Luz and he actually imprisons the royal family for a time there until he moves them to Kenilworth. He's luxurious though, so honourable confinement. It's reclaimed by Henry III at the end of all the conflicts with the barons and it's then owned by Piers Gavston. We love that name, don't we? We do. It's a nice bit of scandal. So when Richard II was deposed in 1399, it was a really difficult obstacle for his enemies. It was one of those things that was making it difficult to depose him because it was such a strong castle that Richard was able to host his whole royal government there when he fled London. Okay. Now, under the Tudors, so we're now into like the late 15th century and 16th century, it was only abandoned as a royal residence by Henry VIII and then it falls into decline. So it's really a medieval castle. Yeah. Um, It's stripped for all of its materials under Queen Mary, Bloody Mary. Uh, The jail continues to be used, but... The inmates keep escaping, and this is something that we see the whole way through. So basically, it was very hard to get into this castle, but super easy to get out. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> it's returned to Charles I, who gave it to Queen Henrietta Maria. His wife. Yeah, and during the Civil War, it's refortified, and after 16 weeks, the parliamentary forces are able to break into it in July 1646. This is after Oxford has also fallen. Um, But they give very generous terms to the defenders, at least. Oh, that's kind. The castle's then slighted and very limited remains remain. (laughs) Standard. Seems like quite a cool castle, though. The last one, which gave me a a little bit of difficulty researching because it seems to come up under a couple of different names. Um, Rotherfield Greys also mentioned as Grey's Court. Okay. So the first mention of this castle is in the Doomsday Book in 1086 with a family holding it called the de Grey family. So quite similar. Over the centuries, it's extended and fortified until we get to the 1450s when the Lovells added a large timber-framed building Okay. Uh, Walter de Grey in the Magna Carta, who is the Bishop of York for 40 years and regent to England twice, so quite a big guy. Yeah. He is down as owning the castle in the Magna Carta. Oh, cool. Now, Lord John de Grey, who is the first Baron Grey of Rotherfield, was a soldier who became one of the founding knights of the Garter, which I think we mentioned under Henry VII because he really loved giving out Knights of the Garter because it didn't give you any monetary or geographical benefits. Yeah, yeah. By that point, it was by that point it was much more of just a title, right? It's just symbolic, really. Um, so he was made a Knight of the Garter after the Battle of Cressy in 1346. Now, the last Grey died in 1387. But his granddaughter, Alice, supported the Lancastrians in the Wars of the Roses. Okay. And her her grandson, Francis Lovell, oh. was friend of Richard III, which means he lost everything at Bosworth when Henry VII won. Yeah, that's not, 
It's not the best side to be on, to be honest. On the topic of Bosworth, he was appointed to guard the South Coast to stop Henry Tudor managing to land and then invade. Um, but Henry then decided to land in Wales, so he wasn't much help because um, there he was on the South Coast waiting for Henry and like fighting him off and Henry wasn't there. So after Bosworth, he uh, fled to a sanctuary in Colchester and tried to organise a revolt. Uh, he kept trying to organise revolts. It was a bit of a problem. One time he actually just tried to seize Henry VII himself, but didn't succeed. He ends up fleeing to Margaret of York, who was the sister of Edward IV and Richard III. He is then involved in Lambert Simnel's uprising with John de la Pole, um, which is the Battle of Stoke. As we know, that didn't go well. He then has to flee to Scotland and James IV looks after him for a bit. We don't really hear anything more about what happens to him. There is a little bit of a myth possibly coming up in Ghosts and Skeletons about him. Oh, okay. Now, under the Tudor rule, which we're now in, uh, Sir Robert Knowles was given the castle by Henry VIII. Okay. Robert Knowles's son, mm-hmm. Francis Knowles, was one of Elizabeth's favourite. Yeah. And Elizabeth visited the castle a lot, which all I've put in my notes about that was classic Liz, because <laughs> she, I don't know if we've ended up talking about this before, but Elizabeth liked to travel round all of her different uh, nobles' houses as a means of not paying for her court herself, because anywhere she went, um, the court had to go with her and she would hold court there. But if she went to visit people, then her hosts had to pay for the costs of the court yeah. and for everyone's accommodation and stuff. So it was her way of like lowering crown finances. Oh, she just spent loads of time visiting people. Now, Francis Knowles was also actually the first jailer of the Queen of Scots, Mary, who was a big issue during a lot of Elizabeth's rule. Yeah. We've again talked about this before. Elizabeth, for reasons we've discussed before, ends up jailing nicely I suppose like she puts her in like a nice confinement is the idea so it's honourable confinement again (laughs) yeah and Francis is the first person in charge of looking after Mary Queen of Scots now Francis has a daughter named Lettuce (laughs) it's an excellent name excellent she secretly marries Dudley which does not go down well because, as we've also discussed before, Dudley is a true favourite of Elizabeth's, Mm -hmm. possibly the person she would have liked to marry. So Liz absolutely hates her. Not much more to say about this period with this castle, really. Many of the medieval buildings are demolished and they built a new main area of houses that still exist there now. It stays in the Knowles family for many years. Under the Civil War, Mm -hmm. it's occupied by parliamentarian forces. Okay. In the Georgian period, um, in 1724, the Paul family now own it. Uh, That's P-A-U-L. Catherine Paul marries William Stapleton, who they own a lot of sugar plantations, unfortunately. And later their descendant, has to sell the property to Evelyn Fleming in 1934 due to financial issues. But the Stapletons converted the house into a Georgian one with romantic medieval ruins and they turn it into a very like Victorian Georgian, faint, like stereotypical house, really. 
Uh, then the last family worth mentioning is the Brunner family, who also did a renovation of the castle. Lord Brunner was a lieutenant in the First World War. Lady Brunner was the chair of the Women's Institute and really involved in the Keep Britain Tidy campaign, for which she received an OBE in 2000. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, she recently died, though, and it was left to the National Trust, so it is open to the public. Oh, okay. When stuff is open again. (laughs) Yeah, true. That wraps us up for chronology. Wow. It was a big one. So does that mean it's now time for Ghosts and Skeletons, Georgia? It does indeed. I'm just going to try and throw in like one or two for each castle. We're going to go back through them all now with some of the key scandalous moments. Okay, the first bit of gossip mm-hmm. to mention is in Deddington Castle, Piers Gavston. Mm. We love that name. In He is being kept there in his honourable confinement by the Earl of Pembroke, until in 1312, the Earl of Warwick abducts him and takes him to Warwick Castle, and that's when he is tried and murdered. I love that it's an honourable confinement. No, like so like a nice confinement before he's like taken hostage. Yeah, but that's not saying any kind of prison's nice. No, but in comparison, not in a prison is the point. It's like, we're in honourable confinement at the moment. Okay, we're not in a dirty prison cell. We're in our homes, but we're not allowed to leave them. At least he didn't get put in the in the uh, the ground hole in in Warwick, I suppose. <laughs> he wasn't put in the Eve yet. Wallingford Castle, really interesting little tidbit. Oh. After the fall of Oxford to Stephen in 1141, when Matilda possibly flees across a snow-covered Thames, that story that we had, mm-hmm. she goes to Wallingford. Yeah. Now. Also, again, super important, the Treaty of Wallingford, so the Deal of Wallingford, which is made permanent by the Treaty of Winchester, mm-hmm. is what ends the Civil War, ends the anarchy. So so whilst the Treaty of Winchester is officially what is known as like how they ended the anarchy, uh-huh. the sort of like informal version of that before it was officially drawn up was done at Wallingford. So... Wallingford's important. Brian surrenders the castle to Henry at the end of the conflict in 1153. Wait, so did he switch sides? Why did he surrender the castle to Henry? So he held it for Matilda, but then when they came to an agreement... Oh, okay, so he's like, I pledge allegiance. He disbanded all of his people and said, right, this is Henry's castle now. He's like, I'm done now, ma'am. Yeah, he's like, I'm out. This was too stressful. Yeah. It's too much to clean. It's not worth that at all. Another ghost and skeletons worthy story is at Rutherford Grays because I mentioned that Lovell, who was very anti-Henry VII, um, I mentioned that he just sort of disappears and we don't hear about him again. His son, Francis Bacon, not the same Francis Bacon as under Elizabeth, because otherwise he'd have to live for many, many years. He, His son claims that he lived in a cave or vault and 200 years later, there was a skeleton found in a secret chamber at the mansion... And they suggest that it is Lovell, who died of starvation, but it's really unlikely to be true because um, he was barely ever there as it was. He didn't use the mansion that much. Um, This isn't in the castle, I don't think. Oh, okay. This is in their mansion. Because he was barely even at their mansion and also the mansion was given to Jasper, who is Henry VII's uncle. Yeah. 
So I don't think it would be a very good hiding place to hide in <laughs> the basement of the king's uncle. I mean, sometimes you've got to hide in the last place anyone's going to think you're going to go. That is that is true, yeah. So, so do you think there's any like particular influence? Do you think any of them are particularly important? And do you think they actually compare well to Oxford and... And Blenheim. I would argue that Wallingford, whilst not really a thing anymore, I included it because I think it rivals Kenilworth and Warwick and Oxford and Blenheim really for its level of importance. Yeah, I'd agree with you with that. I think some of the others aren't quite so important. Yeah, they're still very interesting, very worth visiting when and if able. Yeah. But I would say that that one, Broughton's quite important as well over like a sustained period. But I would say Wallingford is the most important. I mean, it's important under the anarchy. Like it's really important under the anarchy. It's not just mentioned under the anarchy. It's where Matilda escapes to. That's massive. And Brian's a really big supporter of hers it's also where the anarchy ends so I think particularly for the anarchy mm, yeah it's really important for the Oxford seems to be quite important in general for the anarchy Oxfordshire so normally we do a when can we visit these places Georgia so do you have any information about that obviously at the moment you probably can't visit them depending on when you're listening if you're listening the week of the week of us going live with this episode you probably definitely can't go so a couple of them you can't visit anyway unfortunately because they are private a couple of them you can't visit because they no longer exist but I suppose you could go to just where they were Banbury no longer really exists uh Broughton Castle is not currently opened because of COVID-19, but you can normally go. They're hoping to be open again in sort of April 2021. If you just look up Broughton Castle, you'll be able to find all of the details about days that it's normally open and things. And it'll be linked to on the website. Absolutely. We'll put all the links on our website. Deddington Castle, the Inner Bailey is owned by the English Heritage, so you can go to the English Heritage to find out more about that. Oh, that's cool. Sherborne Castle um, is currently private so you cannot visit it unfortunately wallingford castle is open to the public but it's kind of just gardens now because the main castle was demolished in 1972 has different opening times depending on the time of year so during winter it's open 8 30 till 3 it's open later during the summer months and rutherfield grays is open to the public um it's but it's run by the National Trust, so you can go to the National Trust website for more information about that. I'd love to go. That brings us to the end of all of our Oxfordshire castles. Awesome. That sounds really good. So that means it's time for another theme episode next time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think we're going to be looking at the anarchy, given how important the anarchy's been so far. Yes. This is something that people start have requested that we go through like more in-depth histories of certain events and periods and given that Oxford like every single part of Oxford castles that we've looked at really pretty much besides maybe Blenheim Mm. has been relevant to the anarchy story somewhere so I think this is a great time to talk about Matilda she is my fave I love I love Matilda I think she's great um so that'll be exciting we can look at all the all of the shortcomings of Stephen I will try to be Mm. unbiased and impartial I probably won't 
(laughs) I'm sure you won't succeed. So that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe. We would love to know your opinions. You can also follow us on social media. Just look for Podcastles, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're on them all. You can also find us on our website at at podcastles.co.uk. And you can also email us podcastlespodcast at gmail. Thanks for listening. Thanks. See you next time. See you next week. Bye. Bye.